All right, I have to set up my props first, so excuse me just a minute. I have uh, four bags of five-pound flour, unbleached, all-purpose flour. What was that? Don't, yeah, I know. I, I know, I thought about doing a little thing, like demonstration with the flour, and then I thought, no, that's a bad idea. It'll just make an absolute mess. But okay, 20 pounds of flour. We'll come back to this. I leave you all in great suspense. Um, okay. Let me open instead with a little show and tell. This is a photo of me from 1997. It's coming in a second. What's the delay about? Okay, maybe you can just, yeah. There it is. I'm on the right there. I have bleached white hair, 10 bucks, Sally's Beauty Supply. It's probably like 20 today, I don't know. But this was, this was the 90s, okay? All things were possible, including bleached white hair for 10 bucks from Sally's Beauty Supply. Um, this photo, I'm with a friend. His name is Dimitri, and it's pictured here in the capital city of Ukraine in Kyiv. So this was 25 years ago. That summer, I spent five weeks in the capital city, around the capital city of Ukraine in Kyiv. Uh, my wife, Allie, was there, um, and we were friends at the time, and we stayed there that summer. And we had a student, it was a student exchange program slash Christian mission. Long story. Since the war uh, began in Ukraine this past February, many of us have been able to reconnect on Facebook. So we had lost touch. I had not spoken to Dimitri for a very, very long time, really since that summer or following fall. Um, but we've reconnected on Facebook, and we've learned a lot of their stories, where they are now, what's happened to them. Dimitri himself is still living just outside Kiev, the capital. So he's had a lot of stories to tell, uh, share with me. Um, one of the friends that we made that summer, he and his family fled the violence and now is resettling in a town just outside Madison, Wisconsin. Last weekend, Allie and I and our kids got to visit their family. So this is uh, a photo which will come in a second. Um, maybe. The, uh, this is Alexei, pictured next to me, kind of in the center. It's me and Allie, our two kids, and then Alexei and his wife and their three children. Here's their story. February 24th, early morning hours, around 4 a.m., they are suddenly woken. And they can feel vibrations and loud noises from missile strikes not far from their home. They uh, scramble around, try to figure out what's happening. I mean, they kind of know. It was not a foregone conclusion, though, that Russia was going to invade. They weren't sure. There were people saying this is absolutely happening. There were other people saying, we're not so sure. It might not. They realized this is actually happening. There are missile strikes happening. They learned later on that it was about you know, a few miles from their apartments, so not close, but everything in their home is shaking from the vibrations. All the windows are shaking and threatening to be shattered. This morning happened to be their youngest daughter's birthday. She was turning five years old. They had a party planned later that day, but they kind of canceled that, thinking we don't know what's going to happen. 
the missile strike stopped for a little while, so they gathered together some neighbors. They wanted to try to assemble some normalcy, so they pulled together just some close friends' neighbors. They were going to celebrate a little bit, sing happy birthday, have some cake. But as soon as they were gathering, the missile strikes started again. The party broke up. Everyone's trying to figure out, what are we going to do? Alexei and his family decide, we're leaving. That's it. They pack up what they can, they get into a vehicle, and they leave. They have not been back since. So imagine what that's like, gathering what you can into your vehicle with your young children and fleeing war. They figure out and learn over uh, online that the Polish border, which would be the closest for them, is completely inundated. So they have to you know, scramble, figure out a different plan. They go to Moldova, which is in the south. They go around, I guess it's this way for you, around several different countries and end up in the Czech Republic. And that's where they settle for several weeks. There, they link up with a lot of friends and they're trying to figure out what are we going to do. They figure out or learn about a new program in the United States that's welcoming Ukrainian refugees, um, though they're not <laughs> called refugees just yet, but they're welcoming people from Ukraine who are fleeing the war if they have a sponsoring family. Well, they happen to have a family who live just outside Madison, a couple uh, who are, were happy to welcome them. The couple had been living in Kiev. That's how they knew each other. So this couple became the supporter, filled out all the paperwork through the federal government, and welcomed them into their home. So Alexei, his wife, their three kids, are now living with this couple outside Madison. They've taken up the entire lower level of the home, and uh, that's where they're living, and they're trying to rebuild their lives. Alexei is looking to uh, you know, have a job here that's legal. He has to, that's a whole separate process of getting uh, official work permission. And so in the meantime, though, they're relying on the hospitality and generosity of this couple, uh, the couple's church has been involved and is insisting in a lot of different ways, so that is great. As Alexei is telling us this story, I mean, we're on the edge of our seats, you know, this whole time just hearing it. And, you know, he is recounting all of these events and narrating God's presence throughout it. He's giving thanks to God, expressing gratitude that God's brought them there. We're aware that's fraught, you know, um, how we think about that. But he was just grateful and celebrating the ways that he has received so much from friends and who he attributes to God and God's help. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the call to show hospitality, to extend ourselves to friends, to family, to strangers, to those in need, to the vulnerable. The call of hospitality and how that works. Now, the value of hospitality, it's a shared value across many, many different cultures, probably all religions. In the Christian faith, hospitality is seen as an enterprise in which God is intimately involved. And there is blessing to be experienced in and through hospitality, both for the person receiving the hospitality, like they benefit, obviously, Alexei and his family are benefiting in all kinds of ways, but also the Christian faith would locate God's blessing to those extending hospitality, 
that they are blessed in the giving and showing of hospitality and generosity. Um, there's one verse in the New Testament, one New Testament writer, and Hannah, I'm going to need your help. It's just not working up here for me. Um, the verse in Hebrews 13, verse 2, thank you. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. The writer here is referencing a number of stories from the Bible, from the Old Testament, in which people extended hospitality to who they thought were people. But guess what? It turns out they're not just human, they're angels, or they are God. God coming to visit. And what this points to is the ambiguity of human and divine and how that ambiguity exists all around us and in every human being. So look at your neighbor to the right and to the left. That person is an ambiguous mix of human and divine. That's a major feature of our faith of Christianity, of what we profess. When we are interacting with one another, we are interacting with the divine. And hospitality taps into that. Okay, so we're going to look more closely at one story from the Bible an extension of hospitality, and we're going to watch as this mutual blessing unfolds, both for the people receiving the hospitality and for the person or people extending it. Okay, so we're going to pick it up uh, in Genesis chapter 18, in verse 1. I'm using a translation from Leon Cass, and the translation is a little clunky at times, but he emphasizes some things in the Hebrew. Uh, It was originally in Hebrew. It's translated into English. And so I I just appreciate how he emphasizes some things. So, yeah, we got it. Great. Thank you, Hannah. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if, please, I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant, please. Let, please, a little water be brought, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant." So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah, that's his wife, and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. He stood by them under the tree while they ate. All right, thank you, Hannah. This story, the heart of it, is Abraham's act of hospitality. And it is an extravagant act, as we'll see. Abraham sees three men, three visitors, and they are strangers to him. He does not know who they are. And importantly, he does not know their divine identity. That is a big reveal that happens later in the story. Wow, they're angels, or God, or both. It's ambiguous. 
But we're told that the visitors come to Abraham. And, you know, it's never easy being a stranger in a strange place. Like, imagine, you know, the last time you were in a strange place, you didn't know well, you don't know the people around you. It's not a a very easy thing. Like, you could be taken advantage of, and so, like, especially if you go to a city or a highly populous area, you can feel like, oh, I don't know what's going on, I don't know who's here, whatever. Um, And we're vulnerable as strangers. 4,000 years ago, in the ancient Near East, where the action of this story happens, that was definitely true. Being a stranger, wandering around, being untied or untethered to a clan or tribe, it made people very vulnerable. Abraham would see that. Abraham would also, though, be wary or be suspicious. Who are these people? What are they doing wandering on the desert? Are they part of a tribe or a clan? Where are the rest of them? Are they hiding? This is the tip of the spear, maybe. A sneak attack that's coming. He doesn't know. So he has to make a decision, a split second decision. How am I going to treat these strangers? By the way, how old is Abraham in this story? 99 years old, (laughs) according to the Bible. Okay, he's 99 in this story. It's great. Now, that is purposeful for the Bible's perspective because they're just trying to paint Abraham as a wise person with a lot of experience at this point. So he's got a lot of experience, and he intuits or something that he's going to show these folks extravagant hospitality. So he springs into action. He shows them hospitality, and I have a list of things, uh, so Hannah, that's the next slide, of how Abraham demonstrates hospitality and generosity. He runs to meet them. Run, not walk, to greet your guest. He bows to the ground, greeting them as an honored guest. He calls himself your servant a couple times and says, please, no, no, please let me serve you. Please let me get you some food. He understates their need. He says, oh, just a little water, and I'll bring you just a morsel of bread, just a little bit. And then he produces this, like, fancy meal in the middle of the desert. It's phenomenal. It's like the best meal these visitors have ever had. Meat, curds, milk, fresh cakes, right? And the meal involves his whole household. He's got to get Sarah involved. He gets the servant involved. And the kick of it is the flour, okay? So the the Hebrew word there, it says three measures of flour. The Hebrew word is seah, which is a specific term of measurement. Three seahs is equal to about... 20 pounds of flour, (laughs) okay? Do you know how much bread we can make with this right here? Like, that's a lot of bread. We could probably feed all of us, you know? Like, this is a lot of bread. Um, Eight to 10 loaves, easy peasy out of this. He's got three visitors. Okay, the baker in the back is telling me something. I don't know. (laughs) I should have consulted the baker. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Okay, you'll have to correct me after, Adam. (laughs) No, it's funny. Yeah, so anyway, it's a lot of flour, though. So take this flour and knead it, right? Like, this is a lot of food. And it underscores the extravagance, the generosity. Abraham's not just being hospitable. He is over-the-top hospitable. You can take the slide down, Hannah. Thank you. Okay, now, there are two very strange things 
in this story, despite this extravagance. And um, aside from the fact that they turn out to be divine agents, okay, that they're somehow representative of God, the two things are, first of all, the strangers are kind of rude or at least impolite. Okay, so you know how when you offer someone something and it can be polite on the first time to turn it down? Like you're a guest, like, do you want some coffee? And it's polite to say, ah, and you pause just a second so they intuit that you kind of do. You say, no, 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 no trouble, it's fine. And then, you know, you're supposed to offer again as the host. No, no, seriously, it's no trouble. Would you like some coffee? And, you know, as American culture, that might be fine. Two is enough. In Abraham's time and place, three times. you got to ask three times. And as a guest, you know, you're supposed to refuse at least twice as a good guest. Well, the first time Abraham offers something, they're like, yes, go do that. And it's a command. They're bossing him around in his own tent, his own house, right? So they're a little impolite, a little rude, What does that say about God? I'll let you decide, but that's just fascinating detail. It's hilarious. Okay, the second thing is the meal that Abraham serves is not kosher. This is a big deal, folks, okay? So I know we're not used to this, but in in the, the Jewish interpretive tradition, to have the father of Israel, the patriarch, serve a non kosher meal, to three divine agents who eat it. (laughs) They eat the meal. It's like, wait, what is going on? How can this be? And so specifically, the word kosher refers to what foods are permitted and what foods are not. And this is all given through the laws given to and through Moses in the Old Testament. So there's the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of other laws about how the people are to live. And part of those are around food. What is kosher? What is okay food? And you cannot serve meat and dairy in the same meal. Abraham breaks kosher and does it. Well, this has set off just the most fun debates you would ever see. Well, fun for me. I can can see it on your faces. You're like, David, seriously? Like, I don't know. But no, it's awesome. Just fun. Just theological fighting over the centuries, both among Jewish interpreters and Christian interpreters, how we make sense of this. Um, People will point out very quickly, of course, that the giving of the law, the giving of the Torah to Moses happens centuries later in the story. So Abraham predates Moses by many, many centuries. Okay. So why could we expect Abraham to know the Torah? Like, that's a weird expectation. Here's why. Next slide. Genesis 26, God is speaking to Abraham's son, Isaac, and says to Isaac, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the heaven because, verse 5, Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, which the Hebrew word there is Torah's. So Abraham, centuries before the giving of God's Torah, kept Torah, except when he's serving the most extravagant, exquisite meal to three strangers in the desert. He breaks kosher. Now, I think the reason he does this is because he believes that this meal will be very good. And he believes it will be good for his guests. And he does not expect his guests to keep 
hold of his own commitments, his own ideological commitments to the food laws. In other words, he has so oriented himself from the perspective of his guests. That's it. I want my guests to feel amazing. They are the center of the experience, not me, not my commitments, and I will suspend those commitments for the sake of the well-being and the experience of my guests. Wow. Wow. And on top of that, even though they're being rude, (laughs) even though they're not being good guests, he's still going to show them extravagance. The story goes on from here, and there's the big reveal, as I've alluded to. Behold, the three visitors are God. They are God and two angels. Wow. And God, as the story goes on, announces blessing, a promise to Abraham and Sarah that despite their old age, they will have a son through whom God's promises will all be made manifest. And this promise, it comes into reality through Abraham's hospitality. As the three strangers are blessed, so Abraham and Sarah are blessed. The blessing is reciprocal, it's shared, it's mutual. They all benefit from this profound act of hospitality. This is what I expect from my experience with our Ukrainian friends. This kind of mutual blessing that we see in this story, I expect it to happen with our friends who have now settled just outside Madison, Wisconsin. This couple that have opened their home, given the lower level of their house to this family so that they could be safe and live there. That's not going to be easy. It's a pretty incredible act of hospitality and generosity. And, you know, what happens, though, the first time someone uses the wrong kitchen utensil on the nice pot? right? Someone didn't clean up after themselves in one of the bathrooms. Someone left out a bunch of stuff out in the yard, right? That's reality. That's the reality of hosting, of hospitality, of human beings. It's fraught. But this couple hosting has chosen to say, we're going to view this from the perspective of our guests, What is it that they would want? What is it that they would need? And we're going to engage in that. That's what's going to set the tone. That's what's going to lead us in all of our decisions. And yes, there will be challenges. It'll be hard. It'll be messy. And we're going to have to deal with that. But for the sake of this family. Now, I don't know how Alexei and his family will be a blessing (laughs) you know, to this couple, but I think they will be. That's been my own experience. As I engage in hospitality, I end up feeling so good. I end up being blessed. 
as other people's lives impact my own. They shape my worldview. They shape me. I become a little less, I don't know, attached, right, to my own agenda, my own stuff. And that's pretty good. It's freeing. It's liberation. That's, I think, the blessing, the gift, the invitation of hospitality. So that's the invitation for us this morning. I just want us to consider what would it look like for us to break out 20 pounds of flour, to show that kind of extravagance. Now, we still have to use wisdom and discernment. So I'm not just saying, you know, all the time, do it, you know. Like, we have to grow into wisdom and discernment. We have limited resources, and we have to figure that out. But I think the invitation is for us to lean into generosity as much as possible. Break out the 20 pounds of flour. Break out the best and see what happens. We can do this in small ways, of course, holding space and conversations, bringing someone a delicious item of food, you know? We can do it in big ways, like opening our homes to those who need a safe place. What is it? I want us to bring that to God in prayer this morning and just hold ourselves available to see who is visiting us. Where might we respond to the visitors in our midst? And how can we demonstrate the kind of hospitality we see Abraham demonstrate? So if you're willing, let's go uh, take a moment in prayer. Um, So get comfortable and I'll lead us. Well, God, we see the story of Abraham and it is uh, <laughs> a lovely story. It's a story that challenges and encourages us. Would you help us to see you, to see the opportunities you're presenting before us? Where are you calling us to extend ourselves in hospitality? So let's just take a moment to listen. Listen.